go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, December 20... December, jeez. January 22nd, 2019. Uh, Kicking off the show, a little aha with Take On Me. Uh, As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Thanks for tuning in. Big show to get to, as always. We've got lots of NFL to talk about. Controversy abounds both games. Uh, on Championship Sunday, uh, take a quick little peek ahead at the Super Bowl, although we'll do a pre-Super Bowl show where we get into more uh, of kind of breaking down uh, the game itself and, uh, you know, making our predictions. Um, We'll get to the NBA a little bit later on in the show, Uh, talk about my new favorite team, the Nets. And uh, if we have time, we'll discuss uh, the Mets as well, as uh, there's a lot of consternation still amongst Mets fans, and understandably so, as to the fact that they have made zero effort uh, to sign either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Uh, One I don't have any problem with not signing, the other one I think uh, would be a good fit, but we'll get into that later on in the show. But we begin with Championship Sunday in the NFL. Saints-Rams, first game. Patriots-Chiefs, second game. So, let's get right to the controversy. Uh, Rams, Saints, Saints up. Sorry. Saints uh, down three. Um, Pass interference, not called. On a crucial play, blatant miss call. Um, Nikel Roby Coleman, the corner for the Rams, himself admitted after the game he thought it was going to be pass interference. He didn't play the ball. The interesting thing was, so it was a little wheel route out of the backfield or out of the slot from Tommy Lee Lewis, little sp- speedy slot receiver for the Ram uh, for the Saints. Um, and Col- uh, uh, <laughs> Nikel. Roby Coleman, uh, the, the the corner, the slot corner for the Rams, he actually played it well. He was in perfect position, and had he played the ball and had he had his head turned around, he might have intercepted it and taken it down the sidelines for a, a game-clinching interception pick six. But he didn't play the ball. He played the man. He got there early. Could have also probably called helmet to helmet. I mean, it was certainly a penalty. He definitely got there before the ball arrived. Uh, watching it, Live, I thought the ball was uncatchable, which is why they didn't call it, but I was wrong. If you watch the replay, the ball landed well within bounds. It was a blatant penalty, didn't get called, um, and really obviously hurt the Saints. Because they call that, it's a first down. Now the Saints basically run the clock down, force the Rams to use all their timeouts, and basically they could have called, they could have essentially run the clock down, kicked a pretty short field goal, and they get out of there with a win. Um... Instead, no call. Um, Saints end up giving the ball back to the Rams. The Rams go down the field and kick uh, a field goal to tie it and send the game in overtime. So, listen, if you're a Saints fan, I understand you're furious. Believe me, as a Lions fan, I feel your pain. However, I also am a little... Uh, because I'm a Lions fan, I'm also a little 
less sympathetic, which sounds weird, but you know, now all of a sudden everybody's all up in arms and now we're going to start replaying uh, interference rules next year. I, I, I didn't see any of this, this outrage in the Lions in support of the Lions after the debacle against the Cowboys in 2014 when they picked up the flag. Okay, I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any hand-wringing there. Actually, to be fair, the only guy that I heard that constantly ripped the league and that call or picked up flag was Mike Francesa here in New York, who has no dog in the fight, right? He's a New York guy, not exactly a Lions homer. Um, that was it. I didn't see any of the national guys come out in defense of the Lions. Uh, I didn't, unfortunately, even see the Lions' ownership, the way uh, Gail Benson, the now owner of uh, the uh, Saints, I believe the daughter of the late Tom Benson, come out and say, you know, she had a pretty strongly worded statement about how the integrity of the, the sport and blah, blah, blah. And look, again, I don't blame anybody associated with the Saints for feeling that way. I get it. I would have been infuriated if that happened in the Lions. And it has happened to the Lions, and that's how I felt. So I get it. Here's the only thing I would say. That said, the, you know, the game went to overtime. You won the coin toss. So you had a chance, Saints, to undo what was, yes, a great wrong was done to you without that, by not getting that call. But you still won the coin toss. You still had the ability to win the game. Go down the field, score a touchdown, and now the narrative is the Saints overcame a horrendous no call to still get themselves into the Super Bowl. Now, I, I understand. Look, I get it. Shouldn't have, You can argue that it should never have come down to that. That's fair. But game's over. I mean, the game wasn't over. That didn't lose you the game, technically. You still had a chance. You still had destiny in your own hands, so to speak. I mean, you can argue it both ways. I mean, I, I get it. Again, I, I, I'm not unsympathetic here to the plight of the Saints and the Saints fan. Now, the game itself... Entertaining game. Game moved fast. Weren't a lot of penalties called. Weren't a lot of injuries. Not, uh, Saints got out to a hot start. Rams were dead in the water. Dead in the water until McVay. And give him credit. Look, I made fun of him last week. You know, the magic hair gel, the whole thing. Uh, give the guy credit. Their team was dead in the water, down 13-0, and they went for a fake punt deep in their own, fairly deep in their own territory and got a first down, and that changed the whole momentum of the game. Johnny Hecker, who's one of the best throwing punters, if not, he, he, is, he is the best passing punter, if you will, in the NFL. Guy was a former high school quarterback, has a good arm. Rams run been run fake punts for years with him, is there? Even under Jeff Fisher, they did it. Uh, Jim Fossil's kid, John Fossil, I believe is his name, is the special teams coordinator for the Rams. He's a good special teams coach. Uh, Calls it a lot. It was a huge turning point in the game. Got the Rams right back in it. And look, give Jared Goff credit. He wasn't great, but he's good enough. You know, this was not the, you know, light up 
the scoreboard kind of game that a lot of people expected. And you're seeing, by the way, I mean, well, we'll get to the Chiefs-Patriots in a little bit. That was a very high-scoring game. But a lot of these other games have not been, you know, these crazy track meets that we saw during the regular season. Now, look, that play, that, that Superdome is one of the hardest places to play in a league. Give the Saints fans credit. They were loud from beginning to end. They were loud the whole game. You saw it rattle the Rams early. It rattled Goff early. He was having to run all the way out to both tackles, to his tight ends, to his receivers, to try to get them on in sync as far as snap count was concerned. They had a bunch of false starts. They had some delay of games. They had to use timeouts. They were rattled early, and that was mostly due to the noise created by the Saints fans. So you give the Saints fans a ton of credit for that. But give the Rams credit, too, because they finally got their footing. And the quarterback, you know what? He hung in there. He hung in there. That play to Gerald Everett for about, what was it, like 30 yards, came on the heels of a timeout. He had run all the way out to the tight end to tell him, try to get him on the same page as far as the snap count was concerned. They ended up calling a timeout anyway, but they came back out of the timeout. And Goff, which he's not exactly known for, bought some time with his feet and then rolled out and hit Everett. And then Everett broke a couple of tackles and and, and had a nice run after catch. That's what he's known for. He's a a good pass-catching tight end. Um... You know, so look, give give Gerald give Jared Goff a lot of credit. Kid hung in there. I was impressed. And they didn't have you know vintage Todd Gurley. I mean, Gurley didn't play that much actually. C.J. Anderson got got the bulk of the work. Now Gurley did have the big touchdown, obviously late in the game. You know, Goff threw a beautiful pass to Brandon Cooks that got him set up for a touchdown. I mean, look, the guy played well. He had 290 yards, and they won the game. Now, again, you could argue that they should have never won the game. Okay. But look, again, Saints got the ball to start the overtime. And they and, and Drew Brees, who's great as he is, threw an interception. Now, I understand his arm got hit because he, he was getting pressure in his face for, by Dante Fowler. Uh, Drew Brees has been in the league a million years. He's 40 years old or close to it. He's got to know that if he's got a guy bearing down on him with his arms up, coming right at him, that's a good possibility his arm's going to get hit and the ball's going to float in the air, which is exactly what happened. And it got intercepted. Who was that? I think Johnny Johnson. John Johnson, the DB, I think, from out of BC for the Rams. Anyway, and look, give the Saints defense credit too. I mean, you know, that get, I think the, the Rams got the ball there at what, like their own 40, something like that, 45. They're in great field position. Uh, it, it, it took a Greg Zerline 57-yard field goal in the overtime to win it. Not exactly a chip shot. Get, listen, I get it. The guy's got a monster leg, and that kick would have been good from 65 yards. He absolutely crushed it, and it was right down the middle. But, you know, it's still a 57-yard field goal. I get that it's in a dome, and he's a great kicker and all that. But, obviously, this is not the same as a regular season game, you know, against the Cardinals, right? This is for all the marbles to go to the Super Bowl. And he, you know, <laughs> like, like he was in his sleep. I mean, he mashed that kick. Guy's a great kicker. So, I mean, look, I get it. The Saints, you're furious beyond belief. It's going to be a tough one to get over. I mean, think about it. Back-to-back years now, Saints' heartbreaking loss last year uh, at their own hand. You know, Marcus Williams with the whiff on Stephon Diggs, right? Play that should have never gone for a touchdown. Should have been an easy tackle, inbounds, game over. It was the last play of the game. Wasn't even a Hail Mary, right? But he just whiffed the play. That was a crushing loss last year to the Vikings. 
that would have put him in the championship game against the Eagles. And then this year, right, with the no call. Now, you know, the other thing here is Sean Payton didn't exactly handle that clock rate down the stretch either by throwing the ball every, every down, okay? It could have run a lot more time off the clock there so that even after they kicked the field goal to put them up three, the Rams wouldn't have had enough time to come down and kick a field goal of their own which was a, ended up being a 48-yarder by Zerlon that he got it, kind of actually started it out right of the upright and it drew back in. It looked for a second that, like that kick might not have been good. And again, with Zerline, the issue is never distance. He's got a monster leg. It's just accuracy, which he's been remarkably accurate as well. You know, he missed a 60-something yard field goal against the Cowboys the week before. He had plenty of distance. It just, you know, was off the mark. So, you know, Sean Payton, as good a coach as he is, bears a little responsibility here, too. You know, nobody, nobody told me I had to throw on first down when they got into field goal range. They could have run the ball and run clock and forced the Rams to use timeouts. You know, so it's interesting. I mean, look, Boomer Sison came out and said flat out they, they got the game was, you know, they got robbed. That seems to be the general consensus. And again, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but all I will say is that it didn't. 100% lose them the game because they still had the ball first in overtime. And I hate to say this because you know I can't stand them, but the Patriots got the ball first in their overtime game against the Chiefs, and what did they do? They didn't throw an interception. They threw one earlier in the game they should have lost in the game that, of course, in typical Tom Brady, charmed life fashion, got negated because D. Ford was lined up offsides. They had nothing, of course, to do with the play. And it's only if the ref is, has to be looking for that because it wasn't like he was egregiously lined, off, up, lined up offsides either. We'll get to that game in a second. But my point is I'm just using that to say, look, Saints got the ball first. They could have put this to rest themselves. I get it. I understand the argument that it should have never come down to that. It's fair, but it's also fair to say they had the chance still to win the game, and they didn't do it. So, you know, it's funny. Nate Burleson, who's on NFL uh, Wake Up, whatever, Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, you know, former Lion, and it's interesting. You know, he's very much in that camp, right? Like, look, one play didn't lose in the game. One play didn't lose in the game. And, you know, look, I, I feel like you, you hear that a lot from players and coaches, and I, it's almost as if they, they have to tell themselves that, or else, like, you can't even operate in a league. Because if you think the league is out to get you, right, I mean, you can't play that way. So I get it. You have to sort of delude yourself into thinking that it is literally, it is a literal, literally a, a level playing field, or else how could you go about your job? I understand that. You know, we as fans obviously have the luxury of not looking at it that way, right? We look for, for conspiracies around every corner half the time. And, and, and by the way, a lot of times we're, we're, we're justified. I mean, again, as a Lions fan, I'm 100% justified in thinking the league, for whatever reason, has added out for the Lions. Just look at the facts. We've gone over it a million times. I'm not going to get into it. It's not about the Lions today. But Nate Burleson brought up the fact that he played a game in the Superdome. I guess it's going back five, six years already now, maybe even longer, where he got called for three offensive pass interference penalties. It's funny. I've always wanted that, that would be the, if I ever met Nate Burleson, that would be the first question I asked him. I'll never forget. It was a Sunday night game against the Saints. That ended up being the Saints, by the way, bounty gate team, right? Dirtiest, cheap shotting bunch in the league, 
right? And Nate Burleson, who's not known as an overly physical receiver, got called for not one, not two, but three offensive pass interference penalties in the same game. That was a close game, by the way. That was the same game where uh, Patrick Robinson came off uh, came off the, the edge to block a field goal before the end of the first half. He was clearly offsides, didn't get called. They're going to commercial break. It was a Sunday night game, so it was on NBC. So it was Michaels and Collinsworth on the call. And Michaels goes, mm, hold on a second. Collinsworth, of course, a dope, you know, local yokel, says nothing. And then that was it. You never heard from him again. They came back out of the out of the break, went right to you know Dungey and Rodney Harrison in the, in the booth at halftime in the studio rather. And then they came back to start the third quarter and never heard a word of it again. Interesting. But anyway. Burleson's like, well, I got called for three offensive pass interference penalties, and I, I mean, I didn't agree with any of them, but, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? So, I mean, sometimes that's how players have to think. I understand that. By the way, speaking of lines and ex-lines, you know, I had a monster game for the Rams against the Saints was Ndamukong Sue. He was all over the place. And if they're going to have any chance against the Patriots, he and Aaron Donald, who also played a good game, those guys are going to have to dominate up front. They're going to have to make life miserable for Brady in the pocket. That's been the formula. Goes all the way back to the Giants, the first time they beat the Pats, right? Justin Tuck, O.C. Umanura, Matthias Kiwanuka, at all pressuring Brady, and particularly up the middle. Get in his face. Sue had a really good game. <laughs> He's had great playoffs. He played great against the Cowboys, too. I mean, look, the Rams are, it's a problem. Pick your poison. You're going to double-team Aaron Donald. You're going to give Sue single blocking half the time. I understand he's been in the league now eight, nine years. He maybe not quite the force he was when he first came into the league. Part of that is also because the NFL has done a very nice job of chilling his play because they don't like the, his style of play anymore. But uh, he's played really well. <laughs> really well. All right, moving on. Game number two, Kansas City, New England. Um, you know, this looked like uh, Chiefs looked like they were a little tight to start the game. Patriots came out, ran the ball right down their throats. Now, it's funny. You know, Andy Reid, they won the toss and deferred. And, of course, after the fact, right, now, my, my feeling is you always kick the ball. Always. Always. You want to start, the, you want to start with the ball in the third quarter, start the second half, always. Right? It's really hard. I don't care how, who, what team it is. It's really hard to take the opening kickoff 80 yards, 75 yards, and take it down for a touchdown. My feeling is even if you defer and you hold the other team to a field goal on the first drive, it's a success. And then, of course, if you hold them to no points, it's a, it's a, a rousing success. A three and out, forget it. That's the ultimate. So they deferred, right, rightly so, in my, in, in my estimation. And, of course, you know, the Patriots came right down the field and scored a touchdown. So, of course, after the fact, people, oh, Andy Reid, no, 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 no. Okay, no. I don't want to hear it. Because if... You know, they're like, how can you take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands? No, it's, it's, one, it's one possession to start the game. Now, granted, look, the Patriots made them pay. They held the ball for a while. That's not why the Chiefs lost the game, okay? Chiefs lost the game, well, <laughs> a number of reasons. But 
Um, Patriots, my point is Patriots came right down the field, scored a touchdown, and mostly running the ball. Short passes and running the ball. It's almost as if the Chiefs' defensive staff didn't watch what the Patriots did against the Chargers because they did the same exact thing. Little dink and dunks and running the ball with Sonny Michel. I mean, they had the Chargers complete, uh, the, the, the Chiefs completely out of sorts. You know, they'd, they'd run the ball in second and eight and get nine yards. I mean, it, it was really frustrating to watch if you're not a Patriots fan, if you're rooting for the Chiefs. Um, but then, as it looks like the Patriots are going to put the smack down and put this game away, they throw the ball from about the one-yard line. Brady throws a terrible interception in the end zone. That kind of gets the Chiefs back in the game a little bit. They didn't score off of that turnover, but they scored at the end of the half, and then they scored when they got the ball back to start the third quarter. And, you know, look, they did a nice job frustrating Mahomes at times. Uh, I thought the Chiefs weirdly sort of abandoned the run too early. But, look, this all came down to, as it always does, late in the game, Mahomes has put them in front, right? 31-24, right? Yeah, because it was 36-31 was the final. So, yeah, 31-24, puts them ahead, right? Beautiful throwback screen to Damian Williams, Pat's coming down. Brady throws an interception on third and 10. Game's probably over there, right? There's under a minute left in the game. The Chiefs would have had the ball at about their own 38-yard line, something like that. Guy returned it a little bit, then fumbled it out of bounds. But So it goes back to where... He fumbled the ball, not to where the ball goes out of bounds. I think that was at about their own 38. Patriots had all three timeouts, so they would have, if the Chiefs didn't get a first down, right, you got to assume, you can't assume, but you have to think that more, more than likely the Chiefs run it three times there, and the Patriots obviously would be loaded up to, to stop the run there. If you want to try to say that that didn't end the game, your argument would be that, the Patriots would three and out the Chiefs there. Let's say they get let's let's try to be fair and say they got a couple of yards. Let's say they got up to the 40 on three running plays. Chiefs would be punting from their own 40. Let's say the Patriots probably would have gotten the ball back with about 30 seconds left or thereabouts, no timeouts. And Dustin Colquitt's one of the better punters in the league. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say. Patriots would have had the ball at their own 25-yard line. So they wouldn't need to go 75 yards with about 30 seconds left and no timeouts needing a touchdown to win. That's if the Chiefs didn't get a first down. Now, with the way Mahomes can move, I would not put it past Andy Reid and the Chiefs to do some sort of a play-action bootleg pass on one of those three plays to ensure they got a first down to seal the game. Because all that, all the Chiefs would have needed there was one first down and the game would have been over. So that interception, that wasn't, because D. Ford was barely lined up off sides. And the left tackle Trent Cannon, by the way, uh, sorry, Trent Brown, was lined up 
also offsides. So it should have been a legal formation on the Patriots. And you want to say D4 was lined up offsides? Okay, it's a miracle somehow. The refs managed to be sp- looking for it at that specific moment. So at worst, it should have been a replay third and 10. Now, to be fair, the Patriots have converted a couple of third and 10s on that drive. So who's to say that the Chiefs stopped them there? They hadn't stopped them. And let's say they even get five yards and then it's fourth and five. They probably get it there. I get it. But it takes more time. I mean, look, the, the, the Patriots scored with... So... The Patriots scored with, what was it? Oh, no, sorry. That put the Patriots up. Right. That put them up 31-28. Right. Sorry. The Chiefs were up 28-24. And they scored with 38 seconds left. And then Mahomes came down and got them in a field goal range. And they scored with 11 seconds left to kick the field goal the Chiefs did to go up uh, to tie the game at 31. Right. That's right. That's right. That's what was also so uh, uh, so painful about this, if you're rooting against the Patriots, is that the Patriots scored. They think they've got the game won. And I turned to AG because he watched the game with me, and I said, listen, this game ain't over yet. Chiefs have a timeout. they got 39 seconds left. They're okay. They can get in a field goal range here. And sure enough, Mahomes got them right down the field. And by the way, pretty uh, not a chip shot, but it was, what, 37-yard field goal? They got to the 20-yard line. They took one crack at the end zone. Now, give the Patriots defense credit. They played basically everybody on the goal line and in the end zone because the Chiefs were out of timeouts. So they couldn't use, they couldn't throw the ball short of the end zone. They had to throw it into the end zone to try to go for the win there. Um, but, you know, look, again, the charm life of Tom Brady continues. And again, you know, this is what, this is why a Patriots fans. And Patriots, this is why everybody hates you. Nobody doesn't think you're good. Everybody knows that you're good. You're an idiot if you don't think Tom Brady's great. But two things can be true at the same time. He can be great and also be the luckiest quarterback in the history of the NFL. Both of those things can be true. This is almost just like the Marlon McCree situation against the Chargers, however many years ago that was. Interception, game over. All he's got to do is take a knee. Instead, he tries to return the ball, and then he fumbles the ball, which is Troy Brown knocks the ball out, and of course the Patriots recover. In this instance, throws an interception. It's going to be his third of the game. He had the terrible one in the end zone. He had the other one after they got the gift overturn after the Edelman muff, which, again, look, I know they looked at it a million different angles. If they called it a muff on the field, there was not enough, in my in my opinion, to look at on replay to say that it didn't definitely touch him. It was hard to say it definitely did, but it was impossible to say that it definitely didn't. And they called it on the field that it was a muff. They needed to stay with the call on the field. Of course they did it because it's the Patriots. And then meanwhile, though, justice prevailed because like two plays later, Brady threw an interception anyway. So that interception would have been... His third of the game. A losing, basically an interception would have lost the game for the Patriots for all intents and purposes. And yet D. Ford is lined up offsides. It's not as if he jumped the gun, got a snap count, forced Brady to throw the ball early. No, 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 no. He had nothing to do with the play. Nothing. He was lined up offsides, they call. Lined up in the neutral zone. D. Ford, one of the Chiefs, I talked about him last week, one of the Chiefs' best defensive players. 
Had a bunch of sacks for them this year. One of the better pass rushers in the league. I mean, it had nothing to do with the play. It had no bearing on the play at all. So, what, Tom Brady's great because D. Ford was offsides? That was some masterful play by Tom Brady when he throws an interception that's going to lose the game and prevent them from going to the Super Bowl? Of course not. And again, look, yeah, give him credit. Two plays later, he threw an absolute beautiful pass to Gronk to set them up for the go-ahead score. Not saying the guy's not great. Of course he's great. He's also gotten an incredible amount of breaks along the way, as have the whole Patriots team. And this, Patriots fans, is why everybody hates you and your team, because you refuse to ever acknowledge any of this. That's why. You know, God forbid anybody dare suggest the Patriots may have gotten a few breaks along the way, dating all the way back to the idiotic tuck rule. I would have loved to see Patriots fans' reactions had the situation be reversed with the tuck rule, by the way. And look, you know, and then of course the whole, you know, the whole Spygate thing, of course, you, 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 now you have some persecution complex and Deflategate and all this. Even Tony Kornheiser, who I, typically I love, buys into this idiotic notion that the league, is, that Goodell hates the Patriots. Are you kidding me, Tony? Goodell can't kiss the Patriots' ass more if he tried. He burned the Spygate tapes. He had finally had enough of them thumbing their noses at the league and the rules and said enough. Even though the deflate gate stuff was probably minimal, he's like, enough. I have to make a stand already. I can't with this team anymore. I've given you guys a million yards of rope, and you just keep making me look like an idiot. So finally I have to make a stand. That's all. They love the Patriots in 345 Park Avenue. Please, don't even get me started. So, oh, and then, of course, he had also that ridiculous roughing the passer penalty on Justin Houston where he basically love taps Tom Brady on the, on the breastplate. The same exact thing happened to Pat Mahomes earlier in the game. That they didn't call. Actually, the, the one to Mahomes was a much more violent hit, but rightfully not called. But, of course, when Tom Brady, you breathe on him, it's a 15-yard penalty, which aided the Patriots in one of their touchdown drives in the fourth quarter of that game. But we'll just ignore that too, right? We'll just pretend that didn't happen. That the same thing earlier in the game wasn't called for Mahomes, but was called for Brady later in the game. And then, of course, the other thing that makes the Patriots even more insufferable is this whole sort of contrived nonsense of they're the underdogs everyone Tom Brady after they beat the Chargers anyone thinks we suck and we can't win any games (laughs) no one likes us I mean, please. Yeah, you're right, Tom. Nobody thinks the Patriots are any good. No, they, they haven't been kissing your ass and calling you the greatest of all time for the last 15 years. You're right. You're right. Nobody likes. No, no, no one thinks you guys are any good. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the most contrived, oldest, you know, uh, motivational ploy in the history of sports, right? Nobody believes in us. Like William Floyd, that dope, when he was on the 49ers, when they blew out the, the, ch- the charges like 50 to 10 or whatever it was in the Super Bowl. No one believed in us, except they were the prohibitive favorite the whole year. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. 
you know, Julian Edelman making up shirts that last week. You know, bet against us. I mean, please. You guys going to still try to pretend that you're underdogs in the Super Bowl too, even though you start, you're starting out as two-and-a-half-point favorites? I mean, they're just, they're, they're just so insufferable. They really are. Minus my man Brian Flores. Guy just quietly goes about his job. Couple things also in that game. I mean, Bob Sutton, defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, what are you doing single covering Gronk late in that game? With Pat with, with, with Eric Berry. Now listen, I understand Eric Berry's been a great player, a Pro Bowl player, an all pro player in this league for a long time. The guy missed a whole year. This is his first game back in, in the in, during the season. And plus, he's given up about you know six, seven inches to Gronk and about seventy pounds. You can't be single covering Gronk there. You got to double cover him. Make Edelman beat you. I understand Edelman's a good slot receiver. Fine. Let Chris Hogan try to make another ridiculously lucky one-handed catch, like he did. By the way, that's the other thing. I mean, Hogan with the absurdly lucky, ridiculous one-handed catch that barely is an inch away from being incomplete. They need another one on the sideline that he juggled for a half an hour that somehow managed to not touch the ground. I mean, again, that, that I'm supposed to think Tom Brady's great because of that? I mean, give his, give, give his receivers a little credit. Those guys made ridiculous catches. Just like in the Super Bowl, Edelman managed to somehow keep a ball that should have been already intercepted off the turf and being incomplete. Managed to grab it an, a millimeter away from the turf. I guess that must be Tom Brady making players better. Throwing bad passes that aren't, you know, that, that guys have to contort their bodies to make miraculous catches on. I guess that must be Tom Brady making other guys better somehow. I mean, again, just be honest with the evaluation here, people. Yes, he's great. He also gets a lot of help. So now we got Rams, Patriots, rematch of where this all this whole dynasty started. Of course, the Rams were playing in St. Louis in those days, back in 01. I guess the Super Bowl itself was in 02, but the, you know, it was from the 01 season. And that's when the Rams were heavy favorites in that game. The Patriots were, were actually the underdog that year. Shouldn't have ever even been in that game because they got there because of the tuck rule game. So, you know, you've got the young, up-and-coming offensive guru and Sean McVay against the old, grizzled, you know, dour, foul Belichick. You know, you've got one guy who's, you know, Gregarious, you've got Belichick, you've got the young quarterback in Goff against, you know, the old 40-year-old veteran who doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon in Brady. You've got Sue, you've got Aaron Donald, Aqib Tlaib, who used to play for the Patriots, Todd Gurley, we'll see. Hopefully this week off, hopefully Todd Gurley will be 100%. But, of course, if you bet against the Patriots, you got to be out of your mind. Amazingly, they always find a way. I mean, look, 
I mean, you know, look, they actually lost last year to the Eagles. Uh, the miracle of miracles. Brady actually, you know, when he got when he got strip sack fumbled, the ball actually didn't miraculously bounce right back to him or somebody else on the Patriots to run it in for a touchdown. The Eagles actually recovered it. You know. And it's going to take the same kind of thing again. Rams are going to have to play almost a near-perfect game and get a bunch of breaks. All right, we'll be back with the NBA right after this. All righty, and we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. So uh, switching gears here over to the NBA. So one of the better stories here uh, lately uh, are the Brooklyn Nets of all teams, if you can believe it. Um, after a rough start to the year where they were 8-18 eight and 18 in their first 26 games, so 10 games under 500, they have gone 17-5 and five in the last 22 games to get to 25-23. and 23. Uh, Blew out uh, the Kings yesterday. And before you say, oh, the Kings stink, Kings have actually been one of the more improved teams in the league this year too. Uh, they are 24-23. and 23 playing out west in the harder Western Conference. So, uh, you know, the, the Kings are not a terrible team. They're 10-13 and 13 away from home, which is not that bad as far as road records are concerned. Uh, they have some good young players, Buddy Held, um, uh, the Fox kid uh, from Kentucky is their point guard, uh, Callie Stein also from Kentucky, the, the center. Uh, Bogdanovich has played well for them. I mean, they, they've got some decent pieces over there in Sacramento. And the Nets whooped them yesterday. I mean, it was a close game. The Nets got down. Uh, then they went on a big run and uh, never looked back. Um, had that great win against Houston last week when they were down like nine with under three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Came back to tie that behind a couple of ridiculous threes from Spencer Dinwiddie. And then they were down seven in the overtime and came back and, and won the game there um, despite you know 50 points or whatever it was from Harden in that game. Uh, so the Nets are super exciting. The Nets are what you would hope the Knicks would be, which is a team that competes and plays hard every night. Um, they've got, you know, similar to the Knicks, they've got some, some you know, rejected recent lottery picks that are now starting to pay dividends, uh, most notably D'Angelo Russell, who was basically, you know, discarded uh, and, and, and pretty much everybody thought that the Nets would be getting rid of him soon. Um, you know, seemed to be a bit of an attitude problem. Certainly his play on the court wasn't anything to write home about. Um, but he's been playing great lately. He was, I think he was Eastern Conference Player of the Week last week. Had a great game against yes, a great game again uh, yesterday against the Kings with uh, 30-plus points. Um, he's playing great. Spencer Dinwiddie uh, is the other guard that the Nets have who's played really well for them. Um, and he'd been a little bit of a funk, too. Uh, broke out of it with that big game against uh, the Rockets. You know his numbers weren't great yesterday, but he always makes it, he seems to make uh, plays at important times of the game. You know when the Nets need a basket, he seems to make them. Um, when you know you need to stem the tide, the other team's making a run. Uh, this kid Kuroks out of Europe has played has been a, a, a pleasant surprise. I talked about Jared Allen. Uh, you know, the Jim Kelly from, from Enter the Dragon lookalike with the big afro, the, the young center, um, you know, had 12 rebounds again yesterday. And this is all without Karis LeVert, who's one of their better offensive players as well. So, I mean, you know, Joe Harris, we talked about, really good, solid, all-around player out of UVA. I mean, the Nets are good. It's a good team. 
Shabazz Napier is a nice player off the bench for them. Ed Davis is a rebounding machine. I think he had 16 rebounds in like 28 minutes uh, yesterday in the game against Sacktown. So right now, the Nets are sixth in the Eastern Conference. So they've played 48 games. So they've got 34 to go. Right? 48, 78, and 4 is 82. Yep. Um, again, 17 and 5. Best record in the NBA, I believe, over that stretch. Uh, Kenny Atkinson has these guys playing great. And it's fun to see. They're really fun team to watch. Easy to get behind. Look, I've been a Knicks fan since I was about 10 years old. Maybe even younger. Well, let's call it 10. And I understand that, you know, they're a disaster. Uh, somewhat by design. Again, I went on my rant last week. You know, uh, it doesn't take talent to play hard. And, and unfortunately, the Knicks just don't play hard right now. And I'm very disappointed in Fizdale because that, that goes on the head coach. You know, and again, I'm not giving up on the guy yet. But, you know, you can stink and play hard. And they should be establishing an identity and a culture of playing hard. That's what Kenny Atkinson has been doing for the last couple of years with the Nets. Now, the results weren't very good because they didn't have any good players. But these guys like D'Angelo Russell have improved a lot because I think there was probably some accountability there. You know, when D'Angelo Russell has some of his boneheaded plays or he doesn't play defense and get back on defense, Kenny Atkinson yanks him right out of the game, puts somebody else in. Knicks aren't doing that. Everything is a big love fest over there. And the guys that can actually play, like Ennis Cantor, are getting penalized because they're not looked at as part of the future, even though he's still only 26 years old. And so there's no merit-based playing time going on over there with the Knicks. You know? And it's... It, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I worry... That they're establishing a really bad culture there. Again, I understand that they want to lose as many games as possible so they have a chance at one of these, you know, three or four really good players. You know, maybe Ja Morant, the point guard out of Murray State, who's uh, opening up a lot of eyes. You know, everybody's in love with Zion Williamson. You know, I'm not convinced. I don't know that, you know, I understand he's freakishly athletic for a guy who's 6'7", 6'8", and 285 pounds. Um, but, you know, doesn't look like he can shoot very well from outside. You know, and you can get by on, on, on sheer athleticism in college, but that ain't going to work in the pros. So, and the Knicks are in desperate need of a big-time point guard. So... And look, I understand Emmanuel Moutier has improved by leaps and bounds and he's only 22 years old, but you don't not get a point guard because you have Emmanuel Moutier on your team, okay? And certainly because of Frank Nilakina. Frank Nilakina will never be anything more. The, his ceiling is a competent third guard who plays about 20 minutes a game. That's his ceiling. He may be out of the league in two years, but that's his ceiling. So, the Knicks are in desperate need of a point guard. If this Morant kid is as good as everybody says he is and he's there for the Knicks, let's say the Knicks get the third pick and that's, you know, Williamson and the other kid from Duke go one, two. And he's there, Knicks got to take him. If, let's say, the Knicks get the first pick and they decide Zion Williamson is the pick, you want to take him? Fine. Then trade Kristaps Porzingis for like a Damian Lillard. 
or somebody like that. Knicks need a big-time point guard in the worst way. I mean, they need a lot of things, but they need that in the worst way. And please don't sign Kyrie Irving. I, I want no part of that clown on this team. So the Nets are the story right now in the NBA and are a lot of fun to watch. And that's where I spend my time. I mean, look, the Knicks were on yesterday. I didn't watch any of the game. None. 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 They played Oklahoma. They got blown out. They were down 25 points before you even sat down if you went to the game. They provide zero resistance, zero effort. It's, it's embarrassing. It really is. You know, and then you have Tim Hardaway Jr. complaining about the schedule that they had a West Coast trip and then they had to go play the game in London. I, I don't want to hear it. And by the way, if some team is willing to take him and his contract on, please, by all means. By all means. He, he's got to go. He ain't it. He's not the one. He's not part of this plan. You're going to get rid of Ennis Cantor. You bet as sure as hell better get rid of Tim Hardaway Jr. Because at least Ennis Cantor does two things really well, which is score in a low post and rebound, particularly offensive rebound. He actually does so he does three things really well. Yes, I get it. He's not good defensively. Okay. What did Tim Hardaway Jr. do? He's a volume scorer slash volume shooter. He scores a lot of points when he takes a lot of shots. Doesn't shoot a particularly high percentage, and he gives you nothing on defense. Nothing. Zero. I'd much rather have Ennis Canner on my team than Tim Hardaway Jr. So, some team wants him. They think they can give him a sh- he can give him a shot in the arm with some scoring punch off the bench. By all means, please take him. All right, let's go around the league. So, Eastern Conference, Bucks still rolling along, 34-12. and 12, Tied with Toronto, basically for the fir- best record overall in the East. You know, we talk about Anton Tacupo. He's been great. Brogdon's played very well for them, the point guard out of UVA. He was a second-round pick, by the way. See, that's a, Malcolm Brogdon's a perfect example of how the NBA has no idea what they're doing when it comes to the draft. Zero, right? They didn't like him because even though he was a really good player at a really good program and played in a ton of big games against top-flight competition, right, and had great NBA size, they didn't like him because, A, he had the nerve to stay in college for four years, and, you know, he wasn't from some remote place in Europe that nobody ever heard of, I guess. So we don't like Malcolm Brogdon. So he was a second-round pick. And listen, he's not a star, but he's starting point guard on a team that has a 34-12 and record. You know, he and Bledsoe is a good backcourt. Chris Middleton has been a, a, a revelation for the Bucks there as a scorer, small forward. They, they, they hired Mike Budenholzer, the former coach from the Hawks, who when the Hawks actually had a decent squad, you know, brought them to back-to-back 50-win seasons. The guy's a good coach. Bucks could be a tough out in the playoffs. Raptors we talked about, one of those rare trades that are good for both teams. They got Kawhi Leonard. San Antonio got DeMar DeRozan. Kawhi Leonard, one of the top five players in the league. Kyle Lowry was off to a great start, got hurt, hasn't played as well since he's come back. Uh, Pascal Siakam has played great for them. Uh, Serge Ibaka has had a resurgence, playing really well, the center for the Raptors. It's a good team. They got that good bench, Van Vliet coming off the bench, C.J. Miles. So... Toronto is going to be tough. Pacers, really good record at 31-15. I just don't think they can get over the hump. 
They're just not quite good enough. And right now, by the way, if the season ended today, the, Saint, the, the, the Nets would play the Pacers in the playoffs. Nets could beat the Pacers. They could. They could beat them. If D'Angelo Russell is going to keep playing this well, now he's not. But, I mean, look, D'Angelo Russell was supposed to be good. He was the second pick in the draft not that long ago, a couple years ago. Maybe the light finally came on for him. You know, we say, I say it all the time. I mean, that's the problem with the, with the NBA is that you get these kids that are 19 years old that have no clue what they're doing. They don't even probably know who they are as people yet. And then you get thrust into these situations where they're supposed to be the saviors of these teams. And more often than not, it goes horribly wrong. And that's why you see all these guys that were these top five picks, you know, after a couple, two, three, four years are on other teams. You know, the Celtics have kind of, you know, kind of slogged their way through. I mean, they're playing well lately. They've won four in a row. Something seems off there. You know, Terry Rozier seems like he wants no part of that team anymore. He seems like he wants to go be on a team where he can play a lot of minutes. I mean, he played great when he filled in for, for Irving last year. You know, the great Gordon Hayward, you know, has not really fit into that team. He's had a couple of good games, but for the most part, he's a non-factor. You know, Jalen Brown and, and, and Tatum have, have been good at times. They've been not so good at times. The, the whole team has, has been a bit off. I mean, look, the record's good at 29 and 18. But, you know, this was supposed to be their year with LeBron now out of the East. And right now, I would take the Bucks or Toronto over the Celtics right now. And I might even take the Sixers over them too. You know, Embiid, as annoying as he is, is great. Simmons can be great at times. Jimmy Butler, same thing. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a lot to take, but, you know, the guy can play. So, I mean, I would say actually right now, Bucks, Raptors, Sixers, all better than the Celtics. And then, you know, rounding out the, 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 the dregs of the East there, you got the Heat, who are 22 and 23, and the Hornets at 22 and 24. <laughs> uh, you know. That's, that's, that's your East. And then in the West, you know, a down year for Golden State. Meanwhile, they're 33 and 14 with the f- number one, you know, number one in the West right now. Nuggets having a great year uh, with their center, Nurkic, who, who, who's unbelievable. The triple doubles, the whole thing. They're thir- a surprising 31 and 14. Oklahoma City's playing well, 28 and 18. Paul George actually is having a very good year for them. Westbrook is doing what Westbrook does. Dennis Schroeder was a nice addition for them as scoring punch off the bench. Steven Adams, their center, is having a really good, nice year. And uh, Jeremy Grant, uh, Horace Grant's son, uh, has finally started to come into his own and is having a very nice year for them and gives them some length and some defense and shot blocking uh, that they desperately need. And then the rest of the West is honestly, it, it, it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, Portland, there they are. They're going to win their 48-50 games. They're 29-19 with McCollum and Lillard doing their thing in the backcourt. Uh, although I will give a little shout-out to my guy Jake Lehman from Maryland who's uh, starting to play a lot more minutes for them and is contributing nicely. But, I mean, we've seen this story with the Blazers before. I mean, that both of those guys are really good players, McCollum and Lillard. It doesn't work. It's the, they, get, they, they need to. It's just like the Raptors. I said it, the same thing. And to a lesser extent, the Wizards. 
right? You have these guard-dominated teams. You have the Wizards with Beal and Wall. You have the Raptors with, with, with uh, DeRozan and Lowry. Raptors broke that up. It's working out really well for them. Now, granted, they got Kawhi Leonard. It's a big reason. But, you know, sometimes it just is not a fit. And, look, both their numbers are good. They're going to win. As I said, they're going to win their 48-50 games. And they're going to get bounced in the first or second round of the playoffs. Just how it is. You know, the Rockets are 26 and 20. Look, they, they, losing Capella for the next four to six weeks is a crusher. He's the only guy that plays any defense on that team. He's their rim protector. He's their best rebounder, shot blocker. Right? That's a killer. You know, Harden is, listen, I can't stand him. We talked about it a million times. But the guy's a great player. He's put him on his back. I mean, they're 26 and 20. You know, but, you know they've got a, a Chris Paul isn't playing either. Eric Gordon plays sometimes and he needs rest because he's always battled injuries his whole career. The other guard that can really score. They just picked up Kenneth Fareed. You know, he, he great rebounder. He's, you know, should give him a little bit of a shot in the arm, but they picked up Austin Rivers. Eh, he's kind of just a guy. I mean, they, they, the Rockets are not a great team. You know, they, they, they got to hope they get Capella. By the time they get Capella and Chris Paul back, obviously they have to stay on the court and they got to, you know, some somehow still be alive in a playoff hunt. Spurs are kind of weird, 27 and 21. You know, they got off to a slow start and they made it a little push. Looked like they were going to kind of start to, you know, do Spurs things and kind of falling back to the pack a little bit. They're the sixth seed now. And the Clippers and the, and the Jazz rounded out. I mean, you know, I think the, the, the big storyline there, you know, look, LeBron actually missing a lot of time for the first time in his career with the, with the groin injury. You know, the Lakers have fallen back to 25 and 23. Season ended today, they would not be in the playoffs. But, be, you know, I suspect that LeBron will come back and he'll get that team over the top. They'll make the playoffs. Now, whether or not they make any hay and do any damage in the playoffs remains to be seen. That will be a compelling storyline to watch. All right, that is going to do it for today's show. As always, thanks for listening. You can check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes. The website is jamalaboutsports.com. Facebook page is jamalaboutsports. And the Twitter handle is at jamalaboutsportnoes. All right, we'll be back with a Super Bowl preview sometime next week. Until then, peace out.